I'm very important. Uh, I have many leather-bound books, and my apartment smells of rich mahogany. And now on the VIP hotline, we have a former teammate of our own, Rod Babers. He ranks sixth all-time in career receptions at Texas, fifth all-time in receiving yards, fifth all-time in receiving touchdowns. His 27 straight games with the reception is fourth best in Texas school history, his fourth longest TD reception in school history. And after his career, he signed with the Denver Broncos. That would be South Grand Prairie's finest, Mr. B.J. Johnson. How's it going, B.J.? It's going good, man. You uh, you said a lot of fours and fives, man. There used to be a lot of ones, twos, and threes. Throwing the ball 50 times a game, man. Well, I have also heard a lot of stories about Coach Drake and on the practice field, but I didn't get to live any of those. Do you have any stories about Coach Drake from back in those days that just I, jumped out I'll to give you? you? I'll give you two of them. <laughs> okay, so the first one, I don't even know. Wait, who listens to this show? Because I don't know if I just... <laughs> Hold on. Yeah, yeah. Make sure. Keep it PG-13 and then don't reveal anything too crazy. I agree because I have to do that too. You're right. <laughs> so, okay. So, what was it? My second, third day um, in training camp, we're freshmen. So, we come in. We're tired. It's two days. We don't want to be there. You know, that's when we was going over across the street down there to those oh, fields, right? Yeah, it was so hot, yeah, man. Exactly. So, we, you know, we come in. We, we're about to watch film. He's like, all right, everybody sit down. Let's go over this practice film from last week, or from yesterday, rather. And then um, he cuts it on. Next thing you know, all you see is a booty shaking. And you're, like, <laughs> <laughs> you're like, what is going on right now? I don't understand what's going on. So he, he put on a really quick adult film just to loosen everybody up. You know, and everybody was caught off guard. You know, it's like, why are we watching adult film here? I thought we were watching, you know. From yesterday, what happened with my five rounds and my six rounds? But all of a sudden, it's dollars in the air and everything. So you know, we we knew then that we had a a coach that was very loose and you know very laid back. But you know, the, on the other end of that, I tell you another story. My second year, my sophomore year, we're playing Colorado, Rod B. Okay, we're in Texas Stadium in the Big Twelve Championship. Oh yes. So all week long, we're practicing this particular play that I'm supposed to get on the first play of the game. So we get to the game. We get out there. We're ready. We get in the huddle. We already know what the play is. There's no reason to call the play. Well, Sloan Thomas decides he's going to go run to my spot and take my place so he can get the ball. So we, used to, we used to always compete to take each other's place. That's just how we work. We were competitive, so we always want the ball. So we know somebody getting the ball. If you're on the other side of the huddle, I'm just going to run out there and take your spot. You're going to have to go take mine where I know you're not getting the ball. So that's pretty much what Sloan did. He runs out there, and he catches the ball, but he should have scored. And he didn't score because Drake was mad. So he, he calls me to the sideline, and he's like, come here. I'm like, what's up, Coach? He's like, what happened? I said, Sloan ran out there, and he just took the play. And he slapped me on <laughs> Now, I know I know this is in the midst of all this stuff going on at Rutgers, but, you know, this is 10 years ago when, and when this was allowed, you know, but... Coach Drake was like a father figure to us. You know, I, I, I took it easy. We still laugh about it. We went to dinner probably about a year ago and talked about it and laughed about it. But, you know, it was just something. You know, my dad wasn't mad or nothing like that because he knew Drake was like a father figure to me. And it, it, if it was up to my dad, he was cool with it. He would have signed off on it. So that's just how cool him and Drake were. So, I mean, Coach Drake, man, he's a wonderful dude, man. You got to really love him, man. And it, it's a blessing to play for a guy like that. Honestly, I had never heard the first one. 
I think I've heard. I think you told me the second one. The first one I've never heard, dude. That is a great yeah. story. I love yeah. that. Uh, I, I, and I got more in my bag. I'm telling you, I got more. <laughs> uh, but speaking speaking of Dallas, man, why we got you? And you might know more about this rivalry than others because now you grew up in Dallas. Um, obviously the Texas OU game played there in Dallas. Um, I don't know if you've got a chance to watch the Longhorns the last two years down there. Uh, but you tell me, man, we had to go through it together. What does this team need to do to beat Oklahoma in your eyes? Um, well, I'm going to be honest, man. We went, you know, I've been going to the games the last couple of years because, you know, I found out that you can tailgate now, man, when you don't play football anymore. Man, it's the best part of it. <laughs> and I love it. Yes. I love it. I just, I didn't know anything about that when I was playing. So, <laughs> I love to go there to this big tailgate party they have. And, and this past year, I think me and my wife left about midway of the first quarter. It wasn't a good feeling. We went back to the tailgate and man. just kept drinking. So, man. I mean, what they need to do, man, is, is they really need to get some playmakers, and they need to get the playmakers the ball in space. Um, I'm glad to see Major is, is calling those plays just because going back to playing with Major, he was always like a coach on the field, and he always knows where people are going to be in certain situations. You know, Major was kind of guy coach. So Davis called something, he'd be like, scratch that. We're not running that. We're going to run this because this is going to work at this particular moment. <laughs> so being that they have that kind of mind upstairs looking down at the field and the defenses, I think he'll understand this year by getting the players the ball in space. And, you know, not all the gimmicks that, you know, was me and run the past couple of years. You just get your ball, get the ball in the playmaker's hands quick and fast and try to get some yards. And I think he'll, that's what he'll be trying to do this year. That's what they need to do on offense. Well, hey, BJ, uh, Rod, he spoke at length over the last couple of years about just the, the passion y'all guys played with, especially after the first blowout loss to OU in 2000 and how that really motivated the team there right. forward. But, you know, I sort of wanted to ask you, you know, if you had the opportunity to address the team before heading to Dallas, you know, after living that experience, what would you tell the team? Just what did you endure? Well, I'm going to be honest. I did have a chance to uh, address the team. I think it was, as a matter of fact, two years ago, um, the night before the game. Um, obviously, it didn't work. But um, <laughs> I had to end up apologizing to the loss and the whole wise uh, staff because, you know, how I get rocky. So I, I know. Cussing and, and yelling. And, but I got the guys fired up. They were fired up ready to play, but it was Friday, unfortunately. <laughs> you know. But uh, but my thing is is just go out there and play with passion, leave it out there on the field. You know, even though we lost four years straight to OU, we never once went out there thinking that we were going to lose. You know, you know, Rod, we used to get the chance to stay in Dallas for the weekend. So yeah. everybody packed their bags. They're like, yeah, I'm going to stay in town after the game. You know, so I'll pack my bag every year, even though I came back with yep. a bag full of clothes. <laughs> Mentality, because I knew I was going to go out there and ball. So... You know, that game is funny, man. Sometimes things happen and you just can't really explain it. Um, it's really a game full of momentum and the atmosphere is crazy. And just to be a part of a rivalry like that, man, it's just awesome and it's really a blessing, man. But you just got to go out there and just fight, man. You know, college football is about passion and heart. You know, it's, it's not about business and, and dollars when you get to the NFL like that. So. You just got to go out there and leave it all out there, man, and play with your heart and your passion, man. And, and people will know it's guys that play like that. Yep. Well, hey, BJ, we really appreciate you taking the time to talk a little bit about the Longhorns, and hopefully maybe we'll be able to catch up with you next season and uh, see how things are going. Definitely, man. Uh, let's tailgate, man. If you tailgate, you find me. Yeah. <laughs> hey, you did say for, for us real. we got tailgates with the podcast. You come to Austin, get in touch with Rod B and myself, and we'll have a lot of fun. I got you. Let's do it. I'll see you guys later, man. All appreciate right. Thanks, BJ. Later, BJ. 
This is Lifetime Longhorn, Aaron Humphrey. <laughs> well, hey, I just want to let you know that your four-set game against Texas Tech, I still remember. How many quarterbacks did you cause to leave that ball game your junior year? <laughs> we put two out. <laughs> uh, Kingsbury was actually the third-string quarterback. <laughs> man, yeah, I, I, I do remember that game, too. I remember uh, knocking out quarterbacks. Hey, hey Hump, before we let you go, man, you played the game at such a high level of intensity. I really admired it, uh, it throughout my entire career. And even to this day, I say people, I tell people, I never met somebody who played the game at such a high level of intensity. Was there anybody out there that you played against that once you got done playing against that guy that you said, I'm going to remember that guy's name. That guy put it on me today. That was a hell of a dog fight. Because I know a lot of people said that about you once they left the field. Who did a hump actually end up respecting after that game? You know what? There's a couple offensive linemen when I got in the league hmm. that really put a hurt on me. <laughs> uh, one of them was a many-time all-pro center from the Jets. Hawaiian guy. God, I can't even remember his my, name. My, uh, my, Kevin Mawai. Kevin Mawai? Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, and that guy right there <laughs> really put a hurt on me, let me tell you that, man. <laughs> that guy was on me before I could even blink. Um, <laughs> but I tell you, I appreciate you saying about Rod. That really means a lot. I tried to play the game at a very high level, and I think that's what, you know, gave me the ability to make plays, just that I was just always looked at it as a, a fist fight. Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, and that's the kind of way we played defense, you know, that those last two years we were there. And like I said, man, I appreciate you saying that stuff. And it, it's been a pleasure. It's a pleasure playing with you and pleasure playing at Texas. Are you my Caucasian? Lifetime Longhorn, Casey Studdard. Before we let you go, man, also the Aggies are out of the Big 12. Missouri's gone. TCU, West Virginia coming in. Uh, what's your take on this whole realignment process that's been going on and Texas A&M leaving the Big 12? Um, you know... Texas A&M leaving the Big 12 because they can't get their yearly butt whooping. But you know, we we got the last win, so we got bragging rights there. We don't have to listen to them anymore for a couple of years, so that's a good thing. But I think they should have stuck around. But you know, I just feel like you know they're probably a little jealous because we got our own you know Longhorn Network and everything. So they felt a little butthurt about that. Casey, I, I know Rod's talked about this in terms of a recruiting class, and, and he's talked about kind of the burden of expectations to try to perform and be that class that wins a national championship. You guys did that. You came in with all the expectations. You're the number one class in the country. But what was it as a class that set you guys apart that allowed you to finish the goal and win the national championship? <laughs> uh, I mean, there's a lot of things, but I think a lot of it was just that will to win. Like We didn't, we didn't care like about what other teams – what they had or what they were ranked. We just want to go out and we showed it with how badly we beat people up. And like, and that's just what it was. We didn't care if you're ranked one or 25 or not even ranked. We're going to go out there and we're not going to have an off day. You know, we're going to go out there and we're going to, we're going to, we're going to take it. We're going to beat that, you know, beat that butt. You know, I'm trying to be all good now, not, you know, <laughs> not stuff online or anything, but you know, you know, yeah. up, you know, that's just basically what we were. We, we didn't take crap from nobody. We just wanted to go out there and we wanted to, we wanted to battle. And I think that was, we didn't care what other teams had or anything like that. We just wanted to go out there and we wanted to, we wanted to win. I think it was just that will to win and knowing that we could beat any team in the nation, you know, just having that in the back of our mind and having a leader like Vince, you know, like I, my biggest thing is leaders, leaders and just a will to win. Like if you look out there right now, 
my biggest thing is who who do you, who do you say is the leader on the on the Longhorns team right now? It ain't many, if any. You know what I mean? Who's yeah. who's the big leader on the team? Like when you look at our class, you could say, you know, Lyle Blay like me on the offensive line, you know, and then you know Jay Scott. You know, we all had we're all leaders. Like you could see you could see it in the game. You know what I mean? Casey, you're talking about leaders, and I know you talked about Vy and his leadership and the ability to win. But going during your time at Texas, and I'll go back to the the classic example when you guys are down to SC with eight minutes left. Is there any doubt in your mind that you guys are going to come back and win that game simply because you got number ten in the huddle with you? No, like I mean, he called it before the game. I mean, he called it before the drive. That we're about to go win this game right now. You also brought up. The blowout factor, and uh, y'all in that Big 12 championship game, uh, do you think you really could have scored 100 points in that game? I didn't play the whole second half. I played one series in the second half. Yeah, I believe I mean, it, it was absurd. Uh, halfway through the third quarter and the scoring was done. But your answer right there, talking about Vince telling y'all in the huddle that you were going to be able to march down and score, I guess that means that once y'all got the ball back and you see Robeson and all those guys firing off the field, y'all knew it was a done deal? I mean, I just got chills thinking about that. No, really, I'm over here all goosebumped out. But no, um, yeah. I mean, as soon as that happened, when Robertson and in, when they stopped him on that uh, fourth and one, stopped Lindell. We, I, like, I looked over at V, and, he, and he, you know, he said, he goes, he says to both Cape, he goes, we're about to win this game right here. Watch this. I was like, did I just hear that right? <laughs> you know what I mean? And sure enough, there we go. March right down the field and do what we had to do. Casey, you're engaged now. You just signed your deal with the Titans. But looking down the road, you know, five, ten years from now, uh, what's up for you after football? What are your you know, some of your long-term plans? I want to be here in Austin. I'm an Austinite for the rest of my life, and that's, and that's that. I want to be uh, – me and my fiance are going to live here. I mean, I want to do some hunting, some fishing. I know that much. Nice. <laughs> I do a lot of fishing. I love, I love offshore fishing, catching them big old pigs, you know, but – that, that's that's my passion, and like do a lot of good bird hunting and stuff like that. But I don't want to like open up a, a bar or a restaurant like a lot of people do. So I guess a lot of hunting and fishing, and we'll figure out the rest later. Yeah, basically. Yeah, you should think about being a guide, man. There's a lot of Longhorn fans like to go fishing with Casey Stuttered, but I remember the last time you came on uh, with me and Rod, and we asked you about. That crazy picture, you were hunting somewhere and uploaded a photo of you with like a mask on and a pistol in the middle <laughs> of a backyard. And we were trying to figure out what you were hunting in the middle of the night. It looked like it's a night vision on or something. Yeah, it was, uh, we were shooting pigs. There you go. They get those hogs out of here. That's good to hear. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Lifetime Longhorn, Mike Adams. Hey, Mike, you remember, uh, didn't we go back to school at the same time? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, dude, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure it was that same time. No, no, no. I, let, let me just give Mike some props. Uh, even though I think we were both, obviously, you were done playing. I was done playing at the time. I believe, dude, we, did we not go out on the practice field for a random one-on-one session? Did we do that? Or did I make that up in my head? I think we did. I think I did you in. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you was going to say something about that. It, hold on. First, I had to beat you because I knew you were getting ready to say you jammed me. You knew I was going to say it. That's why you beat me too. No, no, hold on, Mike, did we, did we do it without a quarterback? Were we that crazy? I think we did, right? And here's a story that nobody knows, too. I think I was in town one weekend, and Quentin Jammer, this was, I think the year he was getting ready to get drafted. Okay. No, nobody knows this. Okay, get it, get it. 
Quinn Jammer, Tony Holmes, a lot of guys, Sean Rogers, beat Quinn Jammer three times in the 40. Ooh. He got so bad that we wasted the last one barefooted. What? Yes. That's unreal. That's, next time you talk to him, ask him. Okay, this is, no, you know what, Mike, I'm going to give you props because I remember us going out there when we went back to school. And I can believe your story with Quentin Jammer, cause you ain't you ain't do your boy. I ain't gonna you ain't do that. But trust me, I will say this: I thought Mike was uh, in his twilight years, and that wasn't the case. Mike Mike was still in playing shape and could, could go out there with the best up. Cause I was still I would think I was fresh out of the league, dude. I was still NFL ready to go. And the reason I asked you to go out there, cause I was like, Mike, I need to work just in case somebody called me up. And you was like, right. dog, I'll go work. Which I got my cleats in my trunk, dog. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, man, I was still carrying them around. And that's funny, man. I'm glad you remember that. Cause I totally forgot about that. Messing around with football, where I'm messing with it right now. But yeah, man, that's crazy how those things just kind of pop up. No, nah, it just shows me the competitor that you are. I think we were in class together, and we just brought it up going out there to get it. What day? You were like what? Let's go get that tomorrow. Uh, we got it done. <laughs> Keith Moreland. He's in the house with Bebo. In the intro, I mentioned you played for Coach Royal, and we haven't got to talk to you, or at least I haven't, since Coach Royal's passing. Do you have maybe a memory you'd like to share or just a story or anything about Coach Royal and the man you knew? Well, I, th- I think first and foremost, uh, uh, there's there's so many things that, when you mentioned Daryl Royal, that, 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 that come to the mix. I mean, obviously, great sense of humor. Uh, tremendous coach, a great person. Uh, but he, the one thing he was, uh, more than anything else, and, and Rod, I think, probably would understand this as good as anybody because being an athlete, uh, you, you look to people and, and you look to people to be leaders, and he was a leader of men. I mean, he taught you uh, not only uh, what it was like to, uh, to be a football player and what it took to, to maybe win a football game, but also told you uh, how to be a person and how to win at life. Uh, he was he was something he's going to be dearly missed by everybody that knew him, uh, and he touched it, a lot of our guys uh, that we'll always remember. Yeah, I mean, this is such a, a, a mythological figure in this town, DKR was. But something uh, that I want to ask you about DKR, and I won't spend the entire time talking about him. We could and probably should, but uh, <laughs> we'll get to talking about some other things in sports too. But every time I hear someone who knew DKR like you knew DKR, who played under him, they would always say the same thing, that, that they became great friends with DKR after yeah, they got done playing. Oh, absolutely, uh, Rod. You know, one of the things that is, he, he, he was, it was amazing. He knew what you were doing. I mean, uh, his guys that had played for him over the course from 1956 to 1975, a 20-year span, it's amazing that he had – you know, you know how many guys came in. Well, even more than when you came in. Mm-hmm. He used to bring 50 of us in here at a time, and uh, uh, instead of just 25 a year, there was 50 coming in at a time. But he remembered those guys. He knew what you were involved in. Uh, and it, it helped a little bit for me. Uh, it was a good transition uh, when uh, Coach Brown asked me to, and, and the station asked me and the university if I wanted to get involved in, in broadcasting uh, football. It, it, you know, he was a... He was a great mentor for me in that is I got to sit beside him at a lot of workouts, uh, going over and, and watching the workouts of the Longhorn football team, and he was still teaching me football then. I said, Coach, you've been out of this game for 30 <laughs> years. He said, it's always in my blood. <laughs> well, hey, Keith, I want to ask you because, you know, you played football, but then you had to give up football to go over to the baseball side. Is there a story from that that you could share with people about Coach Royal? Well, yeah, I had to go see Coach Royal. Uh, uh, he was the guy that – was out running after a practice. Uh, uh, he, he kept himself in great shape, and he's running around the stadium. I didn't really want to uh, 
jump out there and bother him. So I sort of waited until he finished uh, doing his exercise, and he was going to start walking into the coach's office. And I went to him, and I said, Coach, tackling old Campbell ain't going to get it done for me. I, I, I think I'm going to be better off playing baseball than having a chance to be a pro. Uh, it's probably a smart decision, son, just like that. So uh, later on, he chuckled about telling that story to, in, in front of a couple other people at a football workout. That's awesome. <laughs> At Callahan's General Store, we've got all you need. Mike Young and everybody else from Callahan's General Store wants to wish America a happy birthday. So everybody, make sure to have a happy, safe, and fun 4th of July. Callahan's will be closed on 4th of July, but the next time you're in the area, make sure to stop by and check out all the summertime items. They got everything you need for your garden, all the cooking supplies, as well as anything you need for your ranch or your lake house. Backtracks will be playing live music from 12 to 3 on Saturday, so come on by and see my good friends at Callahan's General Store. Wilbur the Pig and all his barnyard buddies will be waiting at the front door to greet for your home and garden, we're a whole lot more than saddles and feet and seed. You'll get a hattie and a handshake. We're as Texas as can be. So what you waiting for? Come to the general store, meet the Callahan family. Meet the Callahan family. 501 on the Bastrop Highway. Texas wins 21-17 over Kansas. We've gotten everybody's initial thoughts. And, guys, I want to start with this. I think the thing I was most disappointed about, and I you know, I know it's the thing I'm most disappointed with from this game, is all week leading up to the game, you heard a team that talked about, yeah, we came out flat against Oklahoma during an 11 o'clock game. You know, practices are physical. We're not, we're not going to have that kind of start. Well, they didn't have that kind of start. You know, the defense gets a three and out. Offense goes down real quick and scores. They're off. They, they come out guns a blazing, but they did something that's equally as inexplicable and inexcusable. They fell asleep. They relaxed and slept walked really through the next three plus quarters, really up until the fourth quarter, really is when they finally woke up as a team. Game atmosphere sucked. I mean, it reminded exactly. me of my days. On the Baylor beat when I covered Baylor and some of those 11 o'clock kickoffs when, you know, Colorado would come to town and just no kind of buzz whatsoever. Which means it's even more on you to exactly. kind of manufacture that false and, and enthusiasm, that's, if you will. That's what I have a problem with is this team, again, failed to take that next step, which is, okay, the environment's not here. It's not what we're used to playing and not near what it's going to be this coming week, this coming weekend in Lubbock against Texas Tech. They failed to get excited for a game for the second time this year. Rod, bad football teams do what Texas did this past weekend. They don't learn lessons. It played to their competition, too, uh, at times. I saw a team that looked the same looks they had on their faces against Oklahoma. When Oklahoma hit them in the mouth, they had no idea what to do. This team had the same looks on their faces, but it was in a different scenario. It's like they were shocked that Kansas actually dug down deep and was willing to fight in that football game. To at least try to stay in it. Like they expected, they weren't going to be the aggressors and put the foot on the throat. They were expecting, because they got up 7 nothing. they were expecting Kansas to just lay roll down. over and lay down. Yeah. And it's, and you brought up that we weren't ready to play against a subpar opponent. I mean, we couldn't manufacture that intensity. But what is more, in my opinion, more troubling is that when we have a game like an OU game where we know what the environment is going to be like. We know it's going to be hostile. We know what to expect because we got blown out last year. 
the team still wasn't ready. So they can't get ready for the game that everybody gets pumped up for, which is the Texas which OU game. Which mind-numbing. And then we see them not even be able to get ready for the worst team in the Big 12. So where do we stand here? Where's the leadership? Who is leading this team? Who is showing this team the vision as to where they're going and then, better yet, how they're going to get there? You know, the, it's, it's weird, and, and this is why I think – this program is kind of in limbo right now. The players say, you know, it's on us. We, we've got to be the ones that get ourselves motivated. You know, the coaches say, it's on us. We've got to make sure practice is physical. and We've got to make sure. Which they did this week. But, Rob, there's a, again, I keep repeating myself, and that, that's really why this season really makes me want to drink drain cleaner at this point. <laughs> there's a disconnect somewhere. Everybody, I don't think accountability is the issue. Everybody's being accountable but nobody knows the direction to direct their lack of accountability towards. That's what leaders do, though, right? That's what a leader of this country Which would do. Which is why will... this football team right now, to me, is a rudderless ship. They don't have any leaders, though. No. I mean, I, I think that's pretty obvious at this point. Even the guys who are designated as the leaders of the Kairos, the Okafers, they don't have any answers uh, or any way to um, unite the team around a common cause or theme or direction. Well, we'll get into a little bit more breaking down this game. And again, just, Matt, some of the numbers you were throwing out there, it's just it's stupefying. It, oh, it's it really, mind-boggling. It, it just, I really can't believe we're sitting here having this conversation, but at the same time I can because if you look at the body of work of this football team this year, I don't think we should be surprised by anything at this point. Well, no, I think what is surprising is the lack of progress. Um, we did, you know, where we started at, you know, we knew we had some issues. We gave us some explosive plays. Hey, we were giving up explosive plays versus New Mexico and Wyoming. All right. <laughs> I mean, yeah. with Jordan Hicks there. So we knew we had kind of an Achilles heel, but we figured, hey, with the superstar talent, making sacks, causing negative plays, turnover margin, that we could overcome some of our deficiencies. And I believe we could have, but we haven't progressed. We've actually regressed. We've actually gotten worse at tackling. I mean, we, we, we were averaging 11 and a half missed tackles a game. We missed 11 in the first half. We took a big step back. Versus Kansas. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's from not, where, that's from not, whatever progress, whatever progress, however little it might, it might have been in the Baylor game, you took a huge step back. Like you said, again, we preface everything by saying it's against Kansas. It was against Kansas. So that's what I think is the most mind-boggling, befuddling thing about what's going on. It's like this group has not gotten better at all. And if there's been a sense of urgency, like there's been in the Longhorn Nation yeah. on the 40 acres, and I know there has been, uh, did, oh, did they simplify the defense? Man, Diaz says I simplified as much as I could. I can't simplify it anymore. Are they cussing and yelling at the kids? I hope so. I, I got cussed out and yelled at when I lost Oklahoma, whatever, 63 to 17. So I hope so. Um, have they made personal? Personnel adjustments. We got freshman linebackers in there. They've changed the. They've changed the personnel. There's, there's nothing else you really can do. Yeah. It's the 91 missed tackles at one point. Look at what Kansas did. They threw it nine times, people. Nine times. All right. They ran it on us 56 Kansas, times. Freaking Kansas. Kansas just disrespected you and said, you know what? Even you, though we're Kansas, we're going to line up, put our boom. hand in the dirt, and hit you in the freaking mouth, and even I, though we're freaking Kansas. Kansas. Kansas should never think that. And that's what, that's, that's the inherent Everybody issue listening right to this podcast that's a Texas Longhorn fan, that should piss you off to no end. Well, that well, Kansas, no, no, no. that freaking Kansas was able to line the football lineup and pound the football on your freaking throat. Why is it upsetting the fans more than upsetting the men on it the should, field? Rod, it should, It should. For being. And that's why fans want to rip the freaking hair out right now. 
No, I, that's what I'm saying. That's why everybody's getting on the guys on the field, and I know uh, getting on the coaches, and I know the coaches have to be accountable. But I'm telling you, as a guy who played on that field, I didn't want to be a part of, a part of an embarrassing performance or product. I didn't want to be a part of the worst defense in UT history. At one point, pride what, what as a freaking man pride kick have in? to take over as a man. All right, and, and you say, so that's what you're questioning right when now. When do you say I'm tired of getting my ass kicked and looking stupid and having national media talk about how we don't play freaking defense? When does your pride kick in as a man and say I'm going to start tackling better? I'm going to stop being a dumbass and playing my correct assignments. Yeah, see, that's what I say. People blame it on the coaches. They will ultimately have to pay the price. But I'm telling you, as a guy on the field, I've watched the film, and God. the guys on the field are saying they're not executing. And I'm telling you, they're right. They're not executing. Quit telling me you're not executing. I can. I can. <laughs> see it i'm not blind i do want to put bleach in my eyes because of how this team plays at times but i can see what's going on quit talking about how you're gonna fix it just fix it well jeff this is gonna anger you even more i meant to add this number into my running stats a second ago but after the incompletion that i spoke of in the first quarter that was at the 28 second mark thereafter until on third and eight when you saw the play action 18 yard completion at the 548 mark of the fourth quarter Kansas did not throw a pass for 39 minutes and 40 seconds of game time. That is nearly three quarters. It went from the 28-second mark of the first quarter to the 548 mark of the fourth quarter before Kansas went from one pass attempt to the next. That is unbelievable. And that was, I believe, just their sixth attempt. They had tried five in the first quarter and chose, (laughs) well, we don't need to do that. I'm gonna I'm gonna calm down a little bit. I'm gonna let my blood pressure subside. No, man, trust me. Right now, you're reflecting a lot of what the Longhorn Nation is feeling. Right now, we're just gonna get to Matt select cuts from the Monday press conference <laughs> while I chill for a little bit. Angry. Now on to Sean Robinson's quite interesting National Signing Day ceremony. There's a clown in this picture. Right, There's right. a clown. Hold too? on. Worst breaking format. We're gonna get Blake Monroe on the phone right now. Is this All a right. clown? We're gonna dial. Now, we're gonna dial one. up. Look at this picture. We're gonna get Blake Monroe on the oh phone God. right now. We're gonna break. We're gonna break look. format. We've got to get. We got to get Blake Monroe on the phone. Wow, I can't okay. believe he no. actually has a real clown. All right, so we went ahead and got him on the phone. Blake, what's going on, man? Oh, not too much, Jeff. Hey, it's another signing day. All right, we gotta ask you about this because I just saw the picture. You were texting me during the Ashawn Robinson announcement. <laughs> Why on God's green earth was there a clown there? <laughs> man, there was. I, you know, I I described it. I guess to, to Jerry at first as a circus, and it ended up being a circus for real, you know? I mean, it was, there was a mascot, you know, uh, there was like dance shows going on. I mean, it was just, <laughs> I, I ain't never seen, I've never even heard, you know, and there's been some crazy things like on signing day, like a couple years back with the George Oedo, the guy had the bulldog, but I mean, this took the cake. It was just, just out of this world. I mean, just, they had the bands, the cheerleaders, three or four different sets of dancers. Uh, <laughs> The dancers were there were dancers. not poles though, right? Do what now? There were no poles. No, <laughs> no <laughs> poles. But you know, I mean, they they'd bring out and uh, I don't know what you call them, but like the people that like kind of beat on trash cans and stuff. It was like those kind of dancers. <laughs> and then they had, like the guys you know, on the corner that beat on trash cans on Sixth Street. <laughs> something like that. <laughs> but yeah, it was it was just unreal, man. Just. I, I don't really know how to describe it for the people that didn't see it. But, I mean, you know, even they had all different color lights going, pink, blue, green, yellow, you know. I mean, it was just, it was just out of this world. So it's like Cirque du Soleil met, like, the 
like the battle of the bands between like Grambling and Southern, yeah. and there was a press conference in the middle of it with a with circus clowns. That's, that's what it was like, you know. And I mean, it even got to the point where they were they were doing something, and then some of the students started break dancing in the, in the aisles of the auditorium. This honestly sounds like the Bizarro Circus oh, from Las man. Vegas. And who was the Elephant Man too? I, you know, I don't know. They never, they never took the costume off, <laughs> so I don't know who it was. Oh man! He, uh, when Aishon announced, he said, "I'm going to, I'm going to commit to the University of," and then he stopped, and everybody was like, "What?" You know, thinking he might say Texas. Well, then all of a sudden, this elephant just comes parading out there. And, and brings him brings him the hat. So I don't know, man. It was just it was just crazy. That's, I bet I Nick's that's the only way of putting it. I bet Nick Saban loved that, didn't he? Sound like a Nick Saban <laughs> move to you? <laughs> yeah, it, it definitely looked like something that he would have, uh, you know, pushed for sure. No, <laughs> not at all. It was it was definitely very anti-serious. <laughs> so it oh, was just man. I don't know, man. It was it was crazy. There's really no way to describe it unless you just saw it for yourself. All right. Well, hey, Blake, appreciate the time, man. We had to get you on because I've seen pictures of clowns running around. So we had to get you on to talk about it. Hey, thanks, Blake. Appreciate it, man. No problem, guys. Have a good one. That was gold. Wow. Why, there you have it. He just, I mean, the break dancing and lights. I, I can't, he kept, the more details that kept coming out, it was just the more outrageous it became. That is, I've never heard that before. A drill team, but it does sound like. Black people will do that. Sounds so like they had a whole chicken. stomp band and with trash cans and everything. <laughs> yeah, I mean, see, that's you go. That's a. That, I'm gonna say that. I'm gonna say that's a. That's a black thing. I'm gonna say that the the white athletes that they, they may put on a hat and they may shuffle some hats, but they're not bringing out the drill team and the band, the drum line, drum line, break dancing, the laser lights, laser lights, clowns. That is a brother Dude, thing. No, literally, why is the clown there? Yeah. It reminds me of the Bizarro Circus in Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. Seriously, do that? Oh. Is, that sounds. That would have scared me, all that stuff. Seriously, that would have scared yeah, and me. And then you see a clown in the background just hanging I, out at a high school? I, wow. I guess we were talking about pre-spring depth chart, but the clown at Sean Robinson's announcement just turned No, I'm with you, brother. We think, got all spring uh, to talk depth yeah, chart. This is a once-in-a-lifetime story. No, no, I agree. Clown no at recruiting at signing day, once-in-a-lifetime. And day. elephant. And, and stomp. Oh, <laughs> I don't even know how we're going to get back on track at this point. Um, I can't even believe that's something that's real. Roll down tide. We have an abundance of rednecks in Alabama who screw it up for the really cool people from Alabama. There's just too much Bama in me. I don't have my priorities straight. Ridiculous. Completely ridiculous. But remember that the key to DBU has always been, and the reason you can say maybe it's falling off a little bit, and I, I, I don't know if that even be the case because a lot of these guys are just young and unproven. But the key to DBU has always been great competition. It's always been it, it, it on the 40 acres since Coach Akina got here. It has been the most competitive position on the 40 acres. No other position has come close, not even in the same wheelhouse no. with us. No. And that's why we produce some of the best mm -hmm. DBs in the country. It's only because of that. Behind me, Aaron Ross, Cedric Griffin. Michael Hupp, literally, these are the guys that backed me up, had to compete against Quentin Jammer and had to compete against Nathan Vasher. That's why DBU has always been great. You know what I mean? It's trial by fire. Those guys that do get out there and play, they're the best of the best. And I don't think they had that last year. I don't think Carrington Bynum so. earned it. Him! Rod, I want to ask you this because you were on campus VY's freshman year, and you, you and I have talked about it ad nauseum. All quarterbacks should redshirt. 
VY redshirted. I'll go ahead and say it. He was the second best campus as a true freshman. I would have taken VY over Chance Mock probably even at that point. You may disagree. I don't know. That's just where I come out on it. But in your opinion, how much did it benefit him to redshirt, get the scout team reps instead of being used as a change of pace guy with Chris Sims? Um, I think it was huge. I mean, you just look at all of Mac Brown's best quarterbacks, and they all have red shirts. No doubt, every last and one the, of them had red shirt. That's exactly. just the way. And the ones who didn't red shirt, they all had issues with the big game. Chris Sims, Garrett Gilbert, Garrett Gilbert. You know, what I mean, the guys who did not red shirt had what some would perceive as bad careers. I don't think Chris Sims had a bad career, but he never won the big game. Uh, and the other guys who did red shirt, they're the greatest quarterbacks, arguably, in the history of the university. I'll take the red shirt. Uh, especially with a guy like Soups, you guys talking about as a project. So, I mean, I don't know the plan for him. I'm assuming from everybody I've talked to, Case McCoy is your backup if anything happens. Case McCoy is going to be the backup. Uh, I'm, I'm assuming Jelly Overstreet would be third. I'm assuming you redshirt Swoops. Yeah, and that's kind of where I come out. I mean, uh, unless you decide that Tyrone Swoops gives you an added dimension and a specialty package that Jalen Overstreet doesn't that can help you win games, then you play him. But to me, for the future of the program, I've got to be thinking long-term with this guy. If you decide that he's your future, you know, is the future of your program worth whatever he might be able to give you as a true freshman? That's going to be the debate this summer. That's going to be what the coaches have to weigh out. Yeah, because when he ran the zone, I mean, it was the very first play, and he didn't even keep the ball. I believe he handed it off to Bergeron, and uh, the gates open up because of the fact that you're accounting for a guy that can really run a zone read outside of what we have right now where you have functional mobility, as y'all call it, with Ash. But I think, like you said, the only possible way that he can have any chance this year is if he's too good to keep off of the field because he can run the one package. And it's like, well, if we're constantly dominating in practice and he's a guy that's going to be make us more efficient in the red zone the way Fozzie ran his package in 2011, that was an unbelievable red zone offense with Fozzie in there. But do you want to burn a year just for that little bit? If you decide that, okay, what Jalen Overstreet could give us in a specialty package and what Jonathan Gray gives us in the wild – it's what Tyrone Swoops gives us in a package is significantly better than those options, then yes, you play him. I think he's more of a long-term answer by far than Connor Brewer. That line of thinking, I redshirt him. Yeah, yep, I agree. I redshirt him and say, he's my guy for the future, and I'm going to give him every possible advantage to be the guy, one of those advantages being, as we just talked about, redshirting him. Yeah, and if you look at the roster, 2013-2014, you got a lot of carryover, same guys that are going to be around. You aren't losing many seniors this year still, so that helps even more. We got to get go ahead, with the quarterback rotation, though, too. The 2013 year, obviously, is supposed to be David Ashes coming out party. 2014, he's still going to be here, but at least he can get uh, you can get swoops relegated to that backup role. As a freshman, as a redshirt freshman, if you redshirt this year. And I would rather go into the spring of 2015 with Tyrone Swoops having had mm-hmm. a redshirt year and then a year as the backup, yep. and then Gerard Hurd coming off of a redshirt year great point. to sit and watch what should be an experienced veteran, good upper echelon Big 12 quarterback in David Ash. And then let those let those two cats battle it out. And the timetable the best man win works out perfect too. If you look back at Vince's career, played sparingly as a redshirt freshman, but it wasn't until his redshirt sophomore year that he really took over the role as a guy that was in charge of the team. And that would be the same type of path for Swoops, yeah. who would be able to get a little playing time as a freshman, but not be thrown in there the way Colt McCoy was as a and, freshman. And with Swoops and Hurd, 
whichever one starts, you can still have a package for the other one. Yes, that's true. You know, so if it ends, and I know that's some concern a lot of people have. Well, what if, what if Gerard Hurd passes him? So, so who cares? you have a bell, you have a belldozer type package with Tyrone Swoops. It's a good problem to have. With trust the, me. exactly with the added dimension that at that point you got he your would Tebow. Be, he would be much more advanced throwing the football at that point than he is right now. So interesting stuff. We'll we'll debate this and talk about it more as we go on. But talk about my time on the Forty Acres, man. You must be out your mind, dog. Rod, I want to talk about your combine experience. Everybody talks about kind of the meat market process of kind of getting poked and prodded and. People are putting the clamps on you to measure your body fat and everything it's real. like that. It's not. That's not a joke. It's true. How? I guess for for a guy that goes through it, what's the mental grind like of the combine? Uh, it's a pressure cooker, and they purposefully put you in a pressure cooker, wake you up early in the morning. Uh, they want you to get agitated. They want you to get frustrated with the situation. Um, you know, that's the whole point is to put you in these unorthodox, very obtuse situations and circumstances, much like the NFL, and see if you will perform in the face of all that adversity and all the circumstances. So, I mean, it, it can end up, it's, it's different for every guy. It really is. Like, I went there, so I think they, they actually, Brought up that my nose had been broken at one point in my life. I didn't even know that. Uh, they brought up the yeah. They brought up the fact they said my knee that that something was wrong with my knee. Apparently, I hurt my knee and strained an MCL very badly of three or four years ago. And I was like, I didn't know that. We're like, oh, well, you got to go see another doctor. And they see the other doctors, and it's just crazy. <laughs> they just want to they want to throw as much as you as uh, much at you as possible as quick as they can. The interviews is a whole nother issue. That's what I want to ask you. What's you know the what I mean? weirdest question you got asked at the combine? Um, I got asked, what's the last time I wore women's underwear? Uh, I was asked, uh, last, yeah. Shut the front door. Yeah, it really was. I was la- I asked about the last time I had lit up a joint and smoked, uh, with my buddies because UT had a reputation for having a lot of sticky, icky, ricky for smoking the marijuana and liking it. So I got asked that almost by every team. I had six interviews. I think every team asked me about marijuana and what's the last time I smoked. And then they try to make you feel comfortable. Like, oh, you can tell us if you got high. Coach Coach Broussard gets high all the time. And I'm like, no, sir. No, sir. I do not like this. They're like, oh, well. so they, it, it's all, it, yeah. it, it is the craziest process that I've ever been through. What? And it is all to see if you will have, if you will get frustrated to the point where it will affect your performance in a negative way. Which team asked you? When's the last time you wore women's underwear? Minnesota Vikings. I remember it too. I remember it. And Coach, it makes Coach sense. Coach Tice was in there. I was about to say, Coach Tice, and, no, you were on the love boat. Because I paused. <laughs> I paused. And then they all were like, you got to think about it. And I was like, I just had never expected this it's question. It's like, yeah, I was very I was like, I've never startled. worn women's underwear. And they were like, oh, I don't know why you have And haven't. if I did, why do you care? And they were like, so it's never crossed your mind to pick them up? And I'm like, no. Nah, I was so like, yeah, you won't fit so, in a uh, men's locker Yeah, they want to see how you react. They, I mean, this combine, I've heard from several guys who have been there that I've talked to who said uh, this is the sexuality combine. Marquise Goodwin said he was asked whether he likes girls or not. Yeah. Legally, you can't ask those questions if you're a team. And I, I think there's I think there was there's but 12 they, NFL teams that by law cannot ask those questions. See, oh, no, I wonder can. if they yeah, can state ask laws. it and just say it doesn't have any binding no, upon they, being hired. No, what they would like to see is, and it's another test, they want to see if you're going to talk to the media about it. Yeah. Who's the guy that's going to snitch on me for asking me that question? Well, you're a guy who takes things outside a locker room. You're not a guy who's trustworthy. They use all the, the combine is all about teams looking for a reason not to pay you money. Oh, that makes me wonder because I heard about uh, Tyrone Matthew was woke up at 4 a.m. to go have a drug test, and they then they had up. some play. But then while he was being drug tested, they had teams in there to ask him questions. Oh, yeah. I guess because it's, he was frustrated, you. like you're saying, and everything like that. But it makes me wonder. Yeah, they purposely put me in a room with Sammy Davis and Aggie. Yeah. Purposefully. 
And I was told that later, like, yeah, we'll put y'all the Aggies together, man. I heard y'all don't like each other. And, it was, it was per- and they brought it up in an interview. And I think it was, I'm trying to think who brought it up in the interview. It was either the Titans who brought it up in the interview or the Patriots who brought it up. But either way, they had brought it up and like, yeah, so you room with Sammy Davis, Aggies, Longhorns. They, they, they throw you in as many obtuse, unorthodox situations as possible. And the longer your, I will say, or, or the more issues you've had away from the field and in your college career, mm. the more crap they're going to throw at you. Like Manti Teo, God, he's dealing with it, dude. He is him and Honey Badger. They are getting. I can it. imagine they are getting the business. They're probably that. using Okafer and Vaccaro against each other to see how truthful they each are oh, about yeah. the summer incident no since question. they were both together. Marquis Goodwin said he's already been asked about you know his the utilization and maximization at the University of Texas. What's wrong with the coaches? Why won't they? I mean, these NFL scouts they also are guys who are just trying to get information. At Callahan's General Store, we've got all you need. Mike Young and everybody else from Callahan's General Store wants to wish America a happy birthday. So everybody, make sure to have a happy, safe, and fun 4th of July. Callahan's will be closed on 4th of July, but the next time you're in the area, make sure to stop by and check out all the summertime items. They got everything you need for your garden, all the cooking supplies, as well as anything you need for your ranch or your lake house. Backtracks will be playing live music from 12 to 3 on Saturday, so come on by and see my good friends at Callahan's General Store. Wilbur the Pig and all his barnyard buddies will be waiting at the front door to greet for your home and garden, we're a whole lot more than saddles and feet and seed. You'll get a hattie and a handshake. We're as Texas as can be. So what you waiting for? Come to the general store, meet the Callahan family. Meet the Callahan family. 501 on the Bastrop Highway. Hey, this is Lifetime Longhorn Kwame Cavill, UT great receiver. Hey, now, Kwame, I got a lot of things I got to say to you because they, they don't know how much you was a road dog and a mentor of mine. Uh, let me just first say congratulations out there at Maynard. appreciate that, man. You know how it is, man. You know, you know these young people, man, they'll cuss you out in a minute. You know, they're a little, <laughs> <laughs> they're a little different, different than we were growing up. And you called yourself a teacher, and people don't know this, man, and I was – I think I was, I'm not one of the top elite DBs in history at DBU, but I'm in there. I'm in the, com- I'm, in, in I'm, I'm in the middle somewhere, but I'm all right. You're in there. You're I'm in there. there. But as long I, as you're in there. As long as I'm in there. I agree. <laughs> um, but I, I think the reason that I got off to such a great start early on, and you don't know this, was because of Kwame Cavill. Uh, you took that. me to the side, and I remember we used to stay after practice and do one-on-ones yeah. for like an hour. Just yeah. and you just beating up on a young buck like me, just hey teaching yeah. a young buck, boom boom. You would beat me, and then you go, all right, you know what you did wrong, right? You should have yeah. did this. You just had your feet here, and you your hands here. Um, a big part of why I became great is because Cormac Cavill decided, uh, just like you said, reaching out to the young guys on the team. You were like, hey man, we got to get this work in. You want to be good, you got to get the work in. And you, all you remember that stand to practice with your boy like that, man. I, no, I remember all that. I just, you know, I, I talked, I, I did that because I knew somebody that did that for me growing up. You know what I'm saying? I knew that the only way we could be better as a team is if I open myself up and not keep us. You know, like, if you get around some teams where you know you are, you, you know who's the big dog and who's not the big dog who's the of the team. And sometimes those guys are, are untouchable, you know. And when I, well, not untouchable the fact you can't touch them, just their demeanor. Because they know where they at. And it's me and it's the team and they don't know how to give back and and no, they don't understand the, the the team concept. But I knew early on that if we were ever going to be the Texas that I wanted us to be, and I'm talking about years after me, mm-hmm. I knew that you had we had to establish a culture of giving back 
to the younger players and leaving a legacy, like I said, of what's going to, what, how this is going to work. You know, and I knew if I did that, I knew one day there'd be a young cornerback like a Aaron Ross or a Michael Huff that you pulled to the side and be like, hey, yeah, come over and get some of this work, you know. <laughs> so I knew if I left that. And also, you got to understand this, though. I didn't tell you to come, you know what I'm saying? And you make it seem like I was like, come on, get this. You were like, hey, man. <laughs> Yo, yeah. Can I get out here with you, man, and do some work? I, you, I knew you was the best, and I figured if I could, if I could cover Cormac Cavill, who's the best, then I could go out and cover anybody in the Big 12. I knew that. And I remember the first time I actually covered you. It wasn't at first, because I remember you used to do me dirty. Kwame has a move that we all know in the 40 acres as the dodo bird. Uh, he would, he'd give you a head fake. And he, I don't know how you made people watch that head, man, but the, the head dodo bird, that's what you got people with. And, I, I, you know, you made you made that great, you know what I mean? But I remember the first time I successfully covered you. I think it took me about 200 times. But when I did, I started. that's when my ego, that's my swagger started growing. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah. I remember that day too. Because I, like, <laughs> I never, I never one time. to get a leg up. Oh, you know how the, the teacher never wants to let the mentor mentor get you. So I just was like, damn, he got me. He did better. <laughs> Uh-oh. I got to get better. <laughs> All right, Kwame. I keep my Since you brought that up, uh, the dodo bird move that Rod was speaking of, it almost sounded like he was talking about, you know, something that you'd see AI do on a crossover. But then when I was reading about you, it said that you – actually won a slam dunk contest, the Finish Line Street Hoops yeah. Challenge in 97. I had no clue that you were into basketball and had that athletic ability as well, man. When did you give up playing basketball? Uh, I, I have Actually, we had a faculty versus staff uh, game today, <laughs> and I brought – it's funny, it's funny. I brought two of the ex-former uh, UT greats. V.Y. came out here and showed some love, and Reggie Freeman came out here and showed some wow. love. Wow. And play the game, you know, just the, the brotherhood and the connection we got. But I haven't given it up, man. Basketball was my first love, and it was only when I got to about high school that I, did, that I decided that I wasn't going to be the six four, six five guy, and I had to use what I had, my athletic ability to pass me on. I knew six two wasn't good enough in basketball unless you was just AI crossover, crossing everybody over. Yeah, and which I had, but I just had enough time to develop my game enough. But I knew that six two in football is a giant, so I could use that more. And Rod, I tell you this, I was so competitive that right after practice, I'd be in the gym hooping. Yep. <laughs> and what I wanted to do is I wanted to bring guys out there and hoop because what that would do is show me how athletic they are. Like if you were good in basketball and in football, you pretty good cat. And if I knew that you weren't as good in basketball that you were in football, I could take advantage of that on the football field because I know I'm more athletic than you. Some guys don't understand that, but I just took that to heart. If I can get you on the basketball court and embarrass you, I knew that I still had that mental edge over you on the football field too because I had that athletic ability about it. And it wasn't cockiness. It was just a mental game. I just wanted to see who was athletic enough to do both. I just always wanted to see how competitive with guys were, and I was just ultra-competitive, and I never lost the love of basketball because it's just it's a fun sport. Now, Kwame, I remember some of them games, and you talking about athletics and health. I remember seeing Sean Rogers dunk in one of them games. Yeah. You remember that? 300 pounds. Yeah, and I'm just thinking, like, when you hear that, I mean, when you see that, you see a big guy doing like that, what does that do for confidence and for intimidation that's on real. the football field. No, that's real. You're like, you're like, this big guy can dunk. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's in the back of your mind. Like, if he can dunk, if he get up under me, he may put me in row five. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to see how athletic guys were. I mean, I remember Lenny getting out there and playing basketball. The thing that you notice is, if you're a hell athlete on the basketball court, then nine times out of ten, that's going to carry over mm-hmm. on the football field. Yep. Talking about motivational speaking, wanted to ask you about Texas and Oklahoma. And, you know, you just talked about sort of that competitive sickness needed to just have the desire to win. If you had a chance to talk to the team before going up to OU after the last few years, you know, what would be the main focal point of your speech to them or what would you want to get across to them? What I would want to get across to them is, (laughs) are you going to give me hype? This is a normal reaction from all Longhorn players, too. <laughs> yeah, I'm just saying. Um, first of all, the stuff that I saw last year was disgusting, you know. And you have to understand that that game means more than you think. Your freshman year, you go out there, you don't understand. You know, people are telling you, hey, man, hey, this is a fast game. You know, and things happen fast. And you go out there, and I'll give you a story. And I'd probably share this with him, too. My first Texas OU game, people have been clamoring because I had a beef spring and I wasn't getting no chicks in the early games. And people were clamoring. We were having receivers problems. People were clamoring, hey, get the bill in the game, man. And Maxley came to like, and John was like, we're going to get you in. We're going we're gonna to play you a little bit. Just be ready. So, you know, the, the, the older veterans were like, hey, man, be ready because this game is fast. You ain't never played in a fast game like this. Be ready. And Rod tell you, the competitive you like, man, whatever, man. I ain't <laughs> I didn't play in any. I didn't play in every type of game you want to play in. Hey, this ain't no different. And the first play was a run play. The second play, of course, McAvick being the offensive guy he is, he's seen a weapon. He's like, okay, well, we're gonna see what you want to do. And they called ninety three lock. I remember playing everything. JB called in the game and looked at me when he said it. Hey, ninety three lock. Like, hey, I'm coming to you. Okay. So I was like, all right, good. And I ran the route. I shook the dude off the line, ran the route, turned my head. The ball was on my face mask. So fast. Because, you know, the tempo was so fast, the ball went right through my hands. So I'm looking at my hands like, golly. And you talking to a guy that caught 100 balls. So I'm looking at a guy, I'm looking at my hands like, are you kidding me? The old receiver looking at the hands trick like, it's got to be the hands, right? Yeah, so, that's what we were doing in the studio. Right. So I, so I get in. So I get back in the huddle, and JB just lit into me. And you got to get the damn head in the game, man. So I'm like, all right, all right. So I'm thinking, okay, I got to come back. I got to come back. Then we saw another run to Ricky. Ricky busted for about 10. So back of it, being the genius he is, hey, he came back. Hey, we called a slant to him. Shook the golf line again. JB throws it right through my hand. <laughs> I, I told myself that day forward. I would never drop another ball ever again, and I would never look this bad in this game ever again. Because I knew that that was the lowest of the low. I'm mm-hmm. never going to get that low. Dropping two balls back-to-back in the game, I'm never going to get that low again. So there's no way but up. But I, the guys have been telling me how fast this game is and how much emotion it is, mm-hmm. but I couldn't really – I couldn't feel it until I got in it. So what I tell guys is – you take that butt whooping and you let it fester yep. all season until when you come back. The reason why we came when Mac back Mac Brown came in, he great brought that culture of attitude. I was already on that attitude. Like y'all got me messed up because I remember what happened last year, and I need to make sure that I establish something out here the next time we play. So 
Guys need to understand the deal, man. And that's Mac Brown, one of Mac Brown's favorite lines. You just got to understand the deal. When you go out there in that game, you got to leave it out there on the field because there is no turning back. You, that game usually, whether you win or lose, usually carries for the rest of the season. Yep. And guys need to understand how important that is. When you put that horn on the side of your helmet, that ain't we ain't just putting the horn on the side of the helmet just because, man. There's people that didn't blood, some great people that put that helmet on. You got to understand that. And if you don't understand that, you don't need to be out there. Mm-hmm. And that's just the bottom line. And some people just until you until you until you get in until you get into that game. And either get choked on the line, or get ran over, <laughs> or drop a ball, or get your butt whooped, and understand what's going on. You have no clue really what that game is about. I'll leave you with this. I'll tell you another story. Before that game, my freshman year, I still didn't know how serious it was. This is before I dropped the two balls, whatever. And maybe this is why I dropped the two balls. I came outside the locker room, and as soon as I came out, because you know the locker rooms face each other. Mm-hmm. Okay. So as soon as I came outside the locker room, just to get a sense of it, you know, most football players want to get out there and get a sense and smell it yep. and just get that get their blood flowing. I, I used to say, I got to get my blood warm. Let me go out here and get my blood warm first. As soon as I came out the locker room, I saw the biggest, blackest, <laughs> D-lineman, scariest. <laughs> and I think his name was Some Chase, number 93. He didn't even have a jersey on, but I, I know who he was. But he, his nickname was Shaq Fu. And I promise you, Shaq Fu, right, as soon as I came out the locker room, he was beating his chest saying, who wants some of Shaq Fu? <laughs> right. Right. I turned right around and went back in the locker room. My blood, my blood wasn't just warm. It wasn't that warm enough. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> But that's how, that's that's the type of game it is. That's you know real. It's, no. it's real like that. Like it's it's it's, it's either you're gonna get punked or you're gonna do the punking. So Man. it's like it's either or. So that's what I would tell the guys. Like they just gotta understand that either you're gonna show up or like 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 me and like Ronate and you can censor this if you want to, either you're gonna show up or pull up or hoe up. Yep. That's real. And football is that type of game. Either you got nuts or you don't have nuts. And it will be, it's funny how this game will expose you in a heartbeat. And we just got exposed last year. Now, it's up to the, the captains and the seniors to understand they got to set the tempo. And, and it's funny how you see how people grow and mature. I talked to Coach Brown, and he was like, hey, we're not too far from what we want to be, you know, that yep. mentality attitude where we are Texas again, you know. And it just takes a group of a group of leaders mm-hmm. to galvanize this, galvanize this group and take guys by the hand and say, hey, this is what we're about, winning. That's it. Ain't no other. We're about winning. We win championships here. We got a standard of excellence, and that's what it is. And either you – Either you touch the horns before you got the field, or don't touch. Nah, that's not. <laughs> nah, man, I don't think. And, and nobody knows this about Corey. I know we take a lot of your time, but man, you actually you need to come on the radio, dog, for real. Don't <laughs> talk some trash with your boy. But Kwame Cavill not only one of the greatest wide receivers on the Forty Acres, but you're. I think you're the greatest trash talker that's ever <laughs> came through the Forty Acres. Nobody knows this about Kwame. Wow. He was never quiet at practice. He had two sayings that I really that, that stick with me to this day. I can hear him. You can hear him when you walked out there. You can hear Kwame. You can hear him out there saying, let's go right damn now. Five <laughs> words. Let's go right damn now. Let's go. Um, and he would also say, 
false enthusiasm goes a long way. It's sometimes it, 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 football is a hard game. You practice way more than you play. So yeah. you got to learn how to practice with that intensity True. that you're going to have to play with. You got to conceptualize True. that intensity, and nobody True. did it better than Kwame Cabello. You can hear him the whole practice. I don't even know. You were talking the whole damn time. You talked more than the coaches. Um, but I was. I learned at an early I grew up with two brothers, right? And I learned at an early age that either I knew that, that, that football was 90% and 10%. I knew if I could get in your head, it was over. Yeah. It didn't matter what I did. If I was in your head, it's done. So I used to walk up to the line and ride a tell you and be like, man, you scared of you? <laughs> Let's go right now. <laughs> yeah, you taught all the you taught all the youngsters how to talk trash. I remember that, man. I remember yeah, that. Man, you, you, it's a swag. You know they call it swag now. Yeah, know, they do. Either you have it or you don't, man. Either you have this inner swag about you because you don't have to talk all the time. But some people like me, that had that got me going. If I was quiet and I wasn't talking out there that I knew I was at my full potential. I needed to talk all the time. To the point, Rod, that they voted me uh, one of the top five trash talkers in the CFL. Oh, I, no question. The whole, my whole, they voted my whole receiving core in Montreal, trash talker. We, we used to score, and I remember I told a guy that it's a shame that he's out here right now. <laughs> Always a game situation, and he has always excelled in game situations going back to his career at West Orange Stark on the 40 Acres now with the Seattle Seahawks. A finalist for the Jim Thorpe Award in 2009, a consensus All-American in 2009, an All-Big 12 and a freshman All-American in 2008, and now one of the top 100 players in the NFL two years in a row as voted by the NFL players themselves. Earl Thomas has been our guest this week on the VIP Hotline. Earl, let us say that it was a pleasure. Hopefully we can do it again soon, and best of luck this fall with the Seahawks, my friend. Uh, thanks, and I, I want to tell Rob, man, you still got the best seat in the world, DB. Man, I appreciate that, young blood. I appreciate it. All right, man. Nice all right. There you have it. A man who's all business, Earl Thomas. Hey. At least the man recognizes his forefathers that came before him at DBU. I'm very important. Uh, I have many leather-bound books, and my apartment smells of rich mahogany. Now, I'll be honest, I've got a bone to pick with our guest on the VIP Hotline this week. Because anytime I get the question, you know, who's the greatest high school football player you've ever seen? You guys have asked me this question because I see a lot of high school football. I can't put this guy into the discussion because his senior year, it looked like they were going to play Colleen Ellison in the playoffs. <laughs> they were up 31-3 to against Wiley, ended up losing that football game, and I didn't get to see him. So the team at Woodrow Wilson High School, I'm still upset for that 2005 playoff run because I did not get to see a man that many say is hands down one of the greatest high school football players this state has ever produced. A parade All-American. USA Today All-American. Old Spice Red Zone National Player of the Year coming out of Woodrow Wilson High School. An All-Big 12 selection at the University of Texas, an All-American at the University of Texas, the only player ever to be a finalist for the Hendricks Award, which goes to the top defensive end of the country, and the Butkus Award, which goes to the top linebacker in the country. You know you got to be a bad man if you're the best at two different positions. Lifetime Longhorn, former draft pick of the Baltimore Ravens, Sergio Kendall's our guest on the VIP Hotline this week. Sergio, hopefully I didn't beat you up too much there at the end and made up for it with some of your notable accomplishments. Yeah, man, I, I mean, I feel like you you stated something I had never heard of. 
Hey, Sergio, one thing I wanted to ask you, and we'll get to some other things real quick, but talk to me about your career, your high school career at Woodrow Wilson, because you were a guy that you were all-state running back, you were an all-state linebacker, a true Iron Man, two-way player. How tough was it every week going out with everybody in the stadium, all the opposing coaches knowing, hey, number two's getting the ball, we've got to stop him, and yet week after week nobody could stop you? Well, it, it, it's all about determination, man. And at the same time, that's a challenge to our offensive line and, and you know, the, the whole offense just because they know what's going to happen if I get the ball. They're going to they're gonna all put it in the box. And then at the same time, our coaching staff would have trick plays for that, even though we didn't have to use them. Because regardless, I'm getting through there and getting some yardage and touchdowns. <laughs> um yeah, man, it, it was our willpower. I mean, as long as you have it in your mind that you can't be stopped and, 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 you, and you get that instilled into your offensive line, they, they'll get you some holes regardless of who in front of them. Hey, Sergio, man, you played the game with such a viciousness. I mean, it really is. I, I, I find it hard to find any other word to describe the way you played the game. What is your What was your mentality uh, when you went out on the football field, especially as a linebacker at the University of Texas? Honestly, man, it it was the fact that I had I had I had uh, something to live up to, you know. Especially playing behind or behind great so so much as Brian O'Rapo and DJ Johnson, Derrick Johnson, just to name a few. I mean, I had I had to live up to my expectations and actually try to exceed them. And with with the recruiting that Mac Brown and the staff did, they put a lot of guys around me that that really made it a little easier than what people might know because I wasn't the only person they had to account for, as you may know. Well, Sergio, I wanted to also ask you, it sort of looks like right now at Texas is a similar situation at the defensive ends as it was going into your senior year because you mentioned you played alongside Brian Arakpo as a junior and then he went on to the NFL. Well, sort of the same situation now with Okafor leaving on to the NFL. Now Jackson Jeffcoat sticking around and it's his team. He's going to be that lead rush in. Could you just talk about that year transitioning from playing opposite of Brian Arakpo to you stepping over into that role and then how you were able to make that adjustment and how defense or offense is adjusted against you well you have to know going in that obviously um that you don't get most of the attention from the offensive line so you have to let the guys up front know that if it's two blocking me then they're gonna have one-on-one so they have to win you know yeah but but at the same time you can't feel like you're taking yourself out to play because there's two guys blocking you at the University of Texas for a reason. One of the premier universities in the country, and that means you're one of the premier players in the country, so you have to handle your job and do it well because that's what they got you there for. They know you can do it. Sergio, you played, you know, obviously as a true freshman and as a sophomore in 07, but your game went to a whole other level in 2008, the first year with Coach Muschamp. Talk about your first spring with Coach Muschamp, that first spring he was here, and what what did he do specifically that allowed you to take your game to the next level? He he basically simplified it for me. Coach Muschamp saw some, something in me that was similar to Brian Arakpo, and he was like, all right, we're going to get you rushing off the edge get some pressure on a quarterback because that was a big deal, especially with him seeing the talent that Rackpo had. He 
he, he wanted to see if I could fit the mold on the other side. He, obviously, because the rack was going to get was going to get a lot of attention, and and I mean, um. I'd be doing if he did, and it opened up a lot of doors for me. <laughs> yeah. At the same time, that was my first time playing defensive end, so that opened up all the doors for me so far as that year and the following year and getting drafted because not only did I know how to play defensive end, then I was also still a linebacker. I've done that my whole life, so that makes you, that makes you more valuable when you're versatile. Next up. Lifetime Longhorn Hodges Mitchell. Well, Hodges wanted to also ask you, you know, you ended up coming to Texas back in 97, but you were recruited by Mac Brown at North Carolina. But I don't know if many people know that your dad was actually Mac Brown's, I believe, roommate at Florida State. So you've yeah. known Mac quite a long time. Do you happen to have any good stories you want to share with us, maybe from back before Mac Brown became the Mac Brown we know today? Man, let me, let me be honest with you, man. My dad used to tell me about Mac Brown all the time. He's like, yeah, I got a friend up in North Carolina. His name is Brad Brown. He plays running back at Florida State. I'm like, man, and the way he was talking about him, no offense to y'all guys, man. I thought he was black. I could have sworn he was black. <laughs> he was talking about him, man. And then, out of the blue, uh, Matt Brown started recruiting me from North Carolina. I'm like, how did this dude even remember me? And you know what, man? <laughs> he ended up giving me a shot. And he gave me a heck of a recruiting visit because I, I really love North Carolina. I did, I did, I did, I did. They had the number three. I said, I'm going to wear number three. I'm going to the University of North Carolina. I'm going to wear this baby blue. And all that sounded good when I committed to Coach Brown until I said, you know what? This is really far from home. <laughs> so I said, Coach Brown, where do you think I should go if I don't go to uh, the University of North Carolina? He told me. He asked me, he said, are you going to uh, grow old in the state of Texas? Yes, sir. You going to raise your kids in the state of Texas? Yes, sir. Do you love the state of Texas? Yes, sir. You need to go to the University of Texas. Hmm. And lo and behold, six months later, he was my head coach. And <laughs> <laughs> hey, Hodges, man, when, what, what game you coming to next year? You going to get a chance to come down and bring the family? <laughs> yeah, man. Now now I kind of got my wife on this football thing at the University of Texas because she's a, she a big Cowboy fan and she's oh, okay. a huge Cowboy fan. Lord Jesus. <laughs> but now I got her involved with the University of Texas. Now, and she's starting to like the University uh, like Austin more. Yeah. I ain't going my way to come back to Austin because I do miss Austin horribly. No question, man. Hey, well, man, make sure when you come in town, man, you hit your boy. We need to get you on the radio, bro. Say, man, I appreciate it, man. Don't forget about the little dude down here, man. <laughs> Tell him I was all right. I didn't, I didn't give him a shot at the league, but I was all right. I man, was... you were better than I, bro. You was a beast. <laughs> Thanks, Rob, man. I appreciate that, brother. I appreciate it. He was more than all right. He was pretty damn good during his time on the 40 Acres. Two-time first-team All-Big 12 selection. Doak Walker Award semifinalist in 1999. One of the best and perhaps most underappreciated running backs, maybe players, in the entire Mac Brown era. The pride of Skyline High School, Hodges Mitchell. Hodges, thanks so much for joining us this week, and uh, hopefully we can do it again soon. Hey, thanks, guys. Hook them horns forever, baby. Yeah. Bleed out, baby, bleed out. <laughs> hey, man, appreciate it, Hodges. We really do appreciate the time. That was a great interview, man. Good job, bro. Hey, no problem, man. Y'all welcome, man. Right. Anytime. Later, man. Thanks, Hodges. Later.
be. Yeah. That might have been number two behind BJ. That thing's he's hilarious. All, no, Hodge has always been. He's hilarious. I think we can all agree that's a hell of a way to end an interview. Man, Hodge's mission was great. I remember because uh, he was he was like two doors down. We the fourth floor of just a dorm was a just a whack zone. No, I've heard a ton of great stories. I mean, oh, who was the kicker y'all had that was out of his mind? Uh, I'm gonna have to get a text. But I heard stories about people on leashes and any. Oh and yeah, no, that's I'm just in a dorm period. But the fourth floor, I spent most of my time on the fourth floor. We had big Leonard Davis in a dorm room. Imagine that guy in a dorm yeah. room. Hodges Mitchell on that floor in a dorm room. Uh, Chris Sims on that floor in that dorm room in the four, on the fourth floor. Sean Rogers was on that floor. That fourth floor was crazy. And all, all the guys would represent their floors because we were three, four, and five. <laughs> but like, oh yeah, that four flow, four flow. And the fifth floor was just a dumpster fire. I mean, it was just, <laughs> it was ridiculous. And you couldn't, and, and they put these poor, these poor RAs. They would have like regular students to be the RAs. Oh, yeah, man. to come and go oh, discipline man. y'all. Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> it's like, yeah. hey, Sean, please stop. It's imagine the nightmare that those guys had to endure. But you know, we never end up beating them up or anything. We were always Rod, we trying to be you cool. turn your music down, please. Yeah, dude, that's how it went all the time. It was always like, no, Mr. Rogers, guys, uh, will um, you please? Uh... Yeah, <laughs> he's like, ah, but you guys, you guys are good. It's two in the morning. You guys got a couple more hours. <laughs> so we got to go through stories one day about how the track girls get into this whole equation. Oh yeah, track girls were big. Football, I would say the most guys on the team, they dated or messed around with track girls instead of any, my, my biggest regret is I didn't go to the volleyball girls. What the hell was I thinking? I should have dipped into that pool and I did not. So, but it was always track girls, then soccer girls. Uh, we didn't have, we didn't, no basketball girls or no <laughs> softball girls. Track and soccer were the track two and main soccer. sports. Yeah. Should have been mm. volleyball, but now these guys are smart now. You see the foot, the yes. football players actually go to volleyball games. Yeah. Go yeah. to a volleyball game in Gregory Gym and you'll see a whole section up there in the front that's just football players. Yeah. Oh. If I lived on campus, I'd be there. This is Lifetime Longhorn Bo Scaife. Bo, want to also ask you about the Oklahoma State game 2004. Basically, I still have the still frame in my mind. You catching the touchdown pass in the corner of the end zone, making it 35-14 to to start that 49-0 run, which really sparked off that Vince Young's team that went on to the Rose Bowl to end your career at Texas. During that game, did y'all just know and see that switch had been flipped, or was it something that still took a little bit of time and it took till after that Kansas game that y'all were like, wow, this is something special we may put together? Well, um, you know, after that game, you know, even going into halftime, you know, we just it was kind of a breaking point for us, you know, like we're either going to, you know, falter or we're going to come back and fight. So I think that was a very, you know, important moment of that football team's, you know, career, and I think that definitely, you know, helped us grow up a little bit, you know, coming back and, you know, going on that run like that and then, you know, just taking it all the way to the Rose Bowl. So, you know, there's defining moments in each, you know, each team's, you know, season, and that was definitely one of the defining moments for for that team. Bo, I know we're going to get to some football talk here in just a minute, but I've got to ask you about the story because since Rod told it to me, I've, I've been wondering about it, and I've got to get <laughs> your side. So apparently there's a story that involves you, Rod, Chris Sims, a Dorian McCullough, a beer bottle being thrown out of a frat house, and you guys going back in. There was a wall pushed over at some point. <laughs> I'm guessing by the laughter you know the story I'm talking about. So I've gotten Rod's side of the story. I need to get your side of the story on this. Hold on, wasn't Shano there too? Both yeah, uh, yeah, you know Crazy Kyle was there. <laughs> we gotta leave him out of it though. He a coach. Exactly. <laughs> uh, you know, just you know, Christian's career at the you know university was definitely a you know a challenging one for him. You know, to come out with all that pressure on him and you know come to a whole different state where you know. I'm not saying they don't, Texas doesn't like New Yorkers, but they probably don't like New Yorkers that much. But uh, you know, it was a rough, rough time for him, and you know, 
you know, people are going to definitely hate and, you know, criticize you. So I know a couple guys from that frat house that, uh, you know, called his phone and left a couple uh, bad messages on there. And, you know, Chris, one of those guys that doesn't take things too lightly, you know, um, when, when you uh, disrespect him. So, you know, it's just one of those things you got to be there for your friends. So, you know, he found out who it was. You know, we went over there, tried to seal the deal, and, you know, things might have got a little rough early, but, you know, we all walked out in one piece, and, you know, that, that that's the end of it. And nobody went to jail, so we're right. good. Bo, that's totally different from what Rod told me. Rod made it sound like y'all were just kind of casually strolling down the street and, and there was nothing going on. Well, we casually pulled up and got out. And that's about where the casualness ended? Well, I we guess? came in peace. You know, we just came to talk, but, you know, then guys started, you know, throwing beer cans and stuff over the wall, and, you know, that that was definitely some triggers to, you know, some things that might have got escalated. But, you know, we came in peace. <laughs> so they, they brought it to us, really. That's oh, right. Man. Agreed. Agreed. Hey, how's my boy Sims doing? He definitely, he's going to be doing games now. You know, he he's not working with the Patriots anymore. He just signed with Fox. So he's going to be um, wow. you know, commentating games now in nice. the uh, Pac-10 and the Big 12. So I think we're going to get to see him in Austin, you know, for a couple games. And, and, you know, I'm sure he'll do a couple Texas games. So he's starting a new career itself. And, you know, I'm happy for him as well. Might be on the Gus Johnson crew. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Well, nice. Hey, Bo. Before we get out of here, let me ask you this. I know Rod has talked about it. I don't. I don't think, guys. I don't think Chris has been back that much since since he graduated. Has he? Maybe once or twice, skis. Yeah, yeah, about once or twice. But what, what do you hope if he does end up on the Forty Acres this year, calling a game, and obviously he'll be down on the field before doing things, you know, broadcasters do. What do you hope the reception for Chris Sims is at the University of Texas? You know, Texas is a great place. And I don't think it holds any, you know, bad feelings or anything towards anyone. Chris was a great player there. He still holds records there. So, you know, I think the, you know, recession will be warm. You know, he comes, I'm sure he's going to come down there, you know, with open arms to everybody. You know, he has love for his university. He knows where he came from. He knows who helped make him the quarterback he was. So, you know, he definitely respects the university, the coaches, and all the guys who played with him before him and after him. So I know he's excited to get down there and, and do some games. Well, folks, our guest on the VIP hotline this week is somebody the University of Texas can be awfully proud of, a model of perseverance, former prep All-American, 2004 first-team All-Big 12 selection, still all over the UT record books for yards, catches, touchdowns, by a tight end, one of the most productive tight ends in the history of the University of Texas, former draft pick of the Tennessee Titans, lengthy NFL career, and doing very, very well for himself now. Bo Scaife was our guest this week on the VIP hotline. Bo, it was a wonderful chat. Uh, best of luck with everything, and hopefully we can catch up and do this again real soon. Skis. Definitely. I appreciate it, man. Thank you, guys. You too, brother. Speaking of coaches, man, you had one of the uh, biggest characters in the history of Coach Dota 40 Acres and Coach Drake. Give me a give me a Coach Drake story, man, that's uh, that's suitable for the airwaves. <laughs> I don't think any of my Coach Drake stories are appropriate. <laughs> but I'll give you one. is, uh, And I ain't going to lie, I messed up. Um, we're in Big 12 championship <laughs> against Colorado and my, <laughs> my dumb self, um, you know, we broke the huddle and we all played different positions, but for some reason I, I did the wrong thing and I went in BJ's position, BJ was in my position and, um, I was, uh, it was a cover two and I'm not used to that situation, but no excuses. I didn't break into the middle and it was wide open and I went down the scene <laughs> and so we came down and then the next play though, I went deep. We ended up and landed at the two yard line. We ended up scoring a touchdown. So overall, we, it was still a great possession. But that play, I messed up. So we go to the sideline, 
and Coach Drake slaps BJ. <laughs> <laughs> What's so great, Sloan? We actually... Oh. Go ahead. Sorry, I interrupted you. No, no, you're good. So that, that was, you know, I mean, you know, instead of this BJ, instead of this day, BJ still talking. Actually, we saw Drake not this summer, but last summer at Nate Vash's wedding, and you know, we were talking and laughing about that. But Drake, you know, BJ, BJ still, and BJ and I are still as close as it gets. And he always told me, "I can't believe you got me slapped on TV." <laughs> Yeah, so what's great is BJ came on and we asked him for a Coach Drake story. And he first said, well, I've got to give you two. First, he told us about y'all as freshmen walking into the film room when you're all beat up and tired and Coach Drake putting on a little bit of an adult film behind you or something. And then he told that story. But he said that you actually were predetermined before you got on the field to go out there and take his spot. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, hey, I'm selfish in that situation. I'm <laughs> Okay, well, since we do, you happen to have? I'm trying to be the third one. Okay, BJ Roy got it all. Okay, I'm trying to. I'm trying to get in. I'm trying to get in. (laughs) That's awesome, man. Yeah, BJ, he had some great stories about Coach Drake, and he even told us that his favorite thing since giving up football is realizing that people actually go tailgating. That's his favorite pastime. So you, you're I a tailgater? No what was going on. I thought it was just turn on the lights of the football game, and everybody wants to go to the football game. Man, but now I noticed that the tailgating is just. There's something special about it. Everybody wants to tailgate. I mean, the sad thing about it is, you know, I go out to the game because I'm still going to go watch the game, and I look at it, and it's like everybody I know is still, hey, we're just going to stay out here and tailgate. Yeah. Yep. No, I'm like, you know, hey, it's a, it's, a, it's a good time. But, you know, it's, 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 a, it's fun. It's passion. These people love their Texas football. And, you know, it, it, as, a, as a player, you don't realize, especially when I was in the development role at, you know, building a, a program, as you just say is, you don't realize what all goes on other than just a football game. I mean, it's an event. It's a weekend event that's putting on a football game. And, you know, we, you know, again, we're the main attraction, but there's just so much that goes on around it. Hey, Sloan, I wanted to ask you this going back to your days at Klein a little bit. Back when you were getting recruited, there weren't all the Internet recruiting networks and it wasn't, you know, the industry that it is today. When you were getting recruited and committed, how much did you know about Roy and BJ? And, and what was was it? I mean, when did the idea of the big three kind of form? Well, well, I was getting their mail when I was in high school, and he was they were getting my like. So I, I know like, who is this guy, Roy Williams? Who is this guy? You know, and I, I knew about Roy my junior year. You know, um, I think it was in Dave Campbell's magazine my junior year. Now, I didn't know about BJ, but then my senior year, geez, BJ popped up out of, I mean, and he was everywhere. I'm like, okay, so now I know about this BJ character. And Roy and I took a visit to A&M together. Roy committed first, I committed second, then BJ committed third. But we had all talked, we were talking on the phone about committing together. We were all going to go to Texas. I think, actually, Roy committed on the 20th, I committed on the 22nd, and the BJ recruit, uh, committed a little bit after that, but... And Roy and I went on our A&M visit talking about our, you know, committing to Texas. Um, you know, we're just going to, you know, go on a visit. We also got stuck in the same car on our visit, too. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know, Slow. speaking of that, man, the big three coming to UT and kind of changing the game, uh, Chris Sims is now going to be in the booth. Uh, analyzing games for Fox Sports and doing some Big 12 games, too. Uh, Two-part question. How much of a role uh, did Chris Sims' commitment to University of Texas play in you guys coming? And uh, uh, and number two, um, what were the expectations that you guys had coming into uh, University of Texas as the Big Three? 
Well, I mean, you know, y'all's class. I mean, when, when Sims committed, decommitted from Tennessee and committed to Texas, and then after y'all's class signed, and, you know, we said, oh, this big quarterback's got signing at Te- I mean, that, that kind of like, all right, let's go ahead and do this now. Like, let's go ahead and, you know, commit. Because, I, I mean, I didn't grow up a Texas fan. I didn't, my family, none of my family went to Texas. I mean, you know, I was closer to actually College Station. Mm-hmm. Uh, nothing against the Aggies, but I don't like them either. <laughs> but, you know, so it wasn't, I mean, I was actually a Miami fan. I was a Florida State fan. I mean, that's who, you know, I, I thought I was going to Florida. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that, that's who I really thought I was going to the University of Miami whenever I was a sophomore in, in college and then my junior year. But whenever Sims committed to Texas, it turned it all. It's like, oh, wow, okay, Texas is really doing something. Mac Brown and them are really doing something. Let me you know, reconsider what I'm thinking. And then, you know, really my, you know, end of my junior year, I knew I was coming to University of Texas, but it was made, you know, he was a huge swing and all that. And then, you know, and I, I don't, I wouldn't change a day of my time at the University of Texas. Like, you know, the thing about Sims is you don't meet many people in your life that come from as much as he came from and were as down to earth and as real as he was. You know, I, I just, I, I wish and I pray that I can be as successful as Phil was and my children can be as down to earth and as great a people as Chris was. Right. And Chris is. Yeah. So, right. you know, the fact that he's in a booth, that's just going to be funny. <laughs> 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 that's just going to be funny. He's going to be just like his daddy. He looks just like him in the first place. So, uh, now I'm happy for him. I'm uh, really happy for him. I'm just glad he ain't throwing that left handed fast spiral that he used to because uh, he threw, still threw the prettiest ball I've ever seen. And Jeff himself requested for me to put his rant from the 2012 Kansas game up against his 2013 rant following the Iowa State game. You be the judge. Which one do you like better? Again, I keep repeating myself, and that that's really why this season really makes me want to drink drain cleaner at this point. <laughs> There's a disconnect somewhere. Everybody, I don't think accountability is the issue. Everybody's being accountable but nobody knows the direction to direct their lack of accountability towards. That's what leaders do, though, right? That's what a leader of this country Which would do. Which is they why will... this football team right now, to me, is a rudderless ship. They don't have any leaders, though. No. I mean, I, I think that's pretty obvious at this point. Even the guys who are designated as the leaders of the Cairo's, the Okafers, they don't have any answers uh, or any way to um, unite the team around a common cause or theme or direction. Again, we preface everything by saying, it's against Kansas. It was against Kansas. Look at what Kansas did. They threw it nine times, people. Nine times. All right? They ran it on us 56 Kansas. times. Freaking Kansas. Kansas just disrespected you and said, you know what? Even you, though we're Kansas, we're going to line up, put our boom. hand in the dirt, and hit you in the freaking mouth, and even I, though we're freaking we're Kansas. Kansas. Kansas should never think that. And that's what that's that's the inherent Everybody issue listening right to this podcast that's a Texas Longhorn fan, that should piss you off to no end. Well, that well, Kansas, no, no, no. that freaking Kansas was able to line the football lineup and pound the football on your freaking throat. Why is it upsetting the fans more than upsetting the men on it the should, field? Rod, it should, Rod. It being, and that's why fans want to rip the freaking hair out right now. No, I, that's what I'm saying. That's why everybody's getting on the guys on the field, and I know uh, getting on the coaches, and I know the coaches have to be accountable. But I'm telling you, as a guy who played on that field, I didn't want to be a part of, a part of an embarrassing performance or product. I didn't want to be a part of the worst defense in UT history. At one point, pride what, what as a, a freaking man pride kick have in? to take over as a man. 
All right? And, and you say, so that's what you're questioning right when now. When do you say, I'm tired of getting my ass kicked and looking stupid and having national media talk about how we don't play freaking defense? When does your pride kick in as a man and say, I'm going to start tackling better? I'm going to stop being a dumbass and playing my correct assignments. Yeah, see, that's what I say. People blame it on the coaches. They will ultimately have to pay the price. But I'm telling you, as a guy on the field, I've watched the film, and God. the guys on the field are saying they're not executing, and I'm telling you, they're right. They're not executing. Quit telling me you're not executing. I can <laughs> I can. See see it i'm not blind i do want to put bleach in my eyes because of how this team plays at times but i can see what's going on quit talking about how you're gonna fix it just fix it well jeff this is gonna anger you even more i meant to add this number into my running stats a second ago but after the incompletion that i spoke of in the first quarter that was at the 28 second mark thereafter until on third and eight when you saw the play action 18 yard completion at the 548 mark of the fourth quarter Kansas did not throw a pass for 39 minutes and 40 seconds of game time. That is nearly three quarters. It went from the 28-second mark of the first quarter to the 548 mark of the fourth quarter before Kansas went from one pass attempt to the next. That is unbelievable. And that was, I believe, just their sixth attempt. They had tried five in the first quarter and chose, (laughs) well, we don't need to do that. I'm gonna I'm gonna calm down a little bit. I'm gonna let my blood pressure subside. No, man, trust me. Right now, you're reflecting a lot of what the Longhorn Nation is feeling. Right now, we're just gonna get to Matt select cuts from the Monday press conference <laughs> while I chill for a little bit. And now is rant from just two weeks ago. We saw this mind-numbing crap, is what I'll call it, last year in Lawrence. Mm-hmm. Did, and I told myself I was never going to talk about that game again, but I have to <laughs> for a reference point. Yep. We saw Texas be reluctant to go to the speed sweep. I'm doing it again. Yeah, no, I was about to say, I can see the bottom we of the We saw them jaw. reluctant to go to the speed sweep. Oh, I remember. They didn't want to give Marquise Goodwin the ball. Because they were worried about how Kansas schemed it, and they had to save it for the right time. Oh. I'll leave that. I'll leave that game alone. Oh, but wow. you get to this game, and you say, well, they were putting eight in the box. Let him put 20 in the damn box. Who cares? You're it's Texas. freaking Iowa State. You're Texas. Hit him in the damn mouth and keep coming. This is what pisses me off with this program right now. Impose your freaking will on somebody. Have some sack. Impose your will and knock the piss out of somebody. Just do it. Quit pussyfooting around and get to the damn point. You want to stop the run here? We're going to put our foot in your ass and make you stop the damn run. Okay. Just do it. It's that simple. It ain't rocket science. Football is a simple game overcomplicated by simple men. That's what this game boils down to. And that's what te- Texas outthought themselves. And whether, if, if you were calling run, if, if it was Major Applewhite calling run pass options and Case McCoy kept throwing the ball, you know what I would have done? I would have got on the headset. I would have told Case McCoy, you throw one more damn ball on a run pass option. We'll be walking back to Austin. Big time introduction for our guest. I want to thank him so much for taking some time. 2005 NFL All Pro. 2005 Pro Bowl selection, two-time UT All-American, back in Austin, getting ready to start the next phase of his career, of his life, and we want to thank him so much for taking some time to join the show right now, Nathan Vasher. Nathan, what's going on, man? Hey, what's going on, guys? How y'all doing today, man? Y'all are too kind, man. No, man, you deserve it. Nasty Nate also is what we used to, we called him on the 40 acres, and not for anything derogatory, he was so nasty (laughs) on the field, his skills were so nasty. That's why we call you Nasty Nate, right, Nasty? Hey, man, I'm just trying to do my thing. I was I was out there sharing the field with a, a bunch of really great players. I got one sitting in the studio right now with you guys, and I, I'm I'm just happy to be back in Austin right now. Nathan, I will say this: as a fan of the Texas Longhorns, you gave me perhaps 
really the two greatest moments I think I've seen being in the stands for a game. One was the North Carolina game where I think you had a million punt return yards in that game. <laughs> and the second one was the hit on Carlos Francis in the Tech game, which I was sitting <laughs> on the on the goal line of, on the second row, and I, I think I felt that hit when it happened. <laughs> Hey, I, I think they. I think he, I think he just might now just be getting up. You know what I'm saying? So, <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I think it was that one of them devastating hits. You know, when you go on YouTube and you know type in top hits in Texas history and stuff like that. You know, it, it was more or less just an attitude, though. You know, Coach Aquino, a lot of those guys. I was talking to Rod the other day just about the attitude that you want to have and be aggressive and uh, make big game changing plays out there. And that was just one of them. Um, the uh, North Carolina game that you're talking about. I mean, that was. Definitely a special game for me as far as uh, punt return wise and being able to make plays. But it was also, if you guys remember, the uh, Cole Pittman game. Yep. yep. And uh, we were able to still score 44 points. And, you know, Major left it at 44. You know, I guess we could have scored a little bit more. But, uh, you know, it was a special game for all of us. Hey, hey, hey Nasty, tell the people, mm-hmm. man, what makes that DB room so special. It's now become DBU, understood nationally, even at the next level. Also, the DBs come back more than any other group to visit uh, and to be and have that camaraderie. What, what, what makes it special for you? I mean, just for me, it's just being in that room. I mean, it, it, I'm, I'm 10 years removed from being in there, from being a senior. And just all the success that you've seen, you know, guys come in and out of that room, and they have a lot of pride, you know, about that. And it's just more or less about knowing the history and the hard work and the foundation that guys have put in uh, to to having success there, you know, and I think it all starts with Dwayne Aquino, you know, with him being there and being able to, you know, teach guys the defense from inside and out, and you still see him doing that to this day, you know, 14 years later, and, you know, I, I can just go through countless names of guys that have had success in the league, and, you know, you see them on Monday night, Sunday night, and they're saying, you know, mm-hmm. University of Texas, DBU, and, you know, I, I feel, you know, happy to say I was a part of that, one of the early guys, you know, coming uh, about that, uh, Quinn Jammer, Rod Babers being there, Amaya Brooks, a lot of those guys. So, you know, it, it's just good to be able to, you know, talk to those guys and let them know that, uh, you know, you have a high standard to play towards and uh, go forth from there because we, we, we expect greatness. Well, Nate, wanted to also ask you, you know, from your playing days, I don't know how many times you got to come back to Texas and actually see the Longhorns while you're in the NFL, but from when you left campus to now when you're coming back from a coach uh, what has really been the evolution of the program you know practice day-to-day stuff how different is it now than it was or is there any difference than your playing days um i still don't think there's a whole lot of difference i mean it's still a first class program and organization i mean coach brown still gets the guys ready and and you know ready for, for for practice and be able to challenge those guys every day you know to make it seem you know whenever you get to the games just like I told Rob the other day, when you get to the games, it should be easy because you're playing against the best players in the nation already on your team. And, you know, you, you, you're setting each other up, you know, for success every week. So, you know, that hasn't changed. The standard hasn't changed. Uh, the facilities, you know, they, they've changed a little bit, you know. But uh, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to be back and be a part of it right now. And, and I'm just fired up for the spring game to see who's going to step up and, you know, I'm still learning the guys' names right now. You know, I, I know numbers, <laughs> but, you know, the, the guys are doing a great job right now, and I, I'm excited about it. Nate, before we let you get out of here, we, we've got to get a good Rod Baber story. And, and you can you can keep it PG-13, but give us a good Rod Baber story. Uh-oh. Uh, I mean, 
Ride is just one of those guys, man. I mean, I, I was one of those guys that stayed in, on, on campus all four years. Rod, did you stay there? I'm, I'm not sure if you did. I did. I kept my but dorm room all four years. I had it there. I, yeah. I mean, I spent some time off campus just like you did. Though, yeah. Rod, Rod is one of those guys that can always, you know, he'll always keep his door open all the time, blasting the loud music. And he's just one of those guys that, you know, you, you'll look in and see, hey, what's going on in there? And, I, I mean, between him and a lot of other guys that were there, just made it more or less like a family and, and made each other want to play for each other. And, uh, you know, Rod is just one of those guys, man. I mean, he brings energy to the room, and, you know, he can, he can light up any any place, you know. So I'm excited to call him my friend and former, you know, uh, teammate, DBU. You know, Coach Kenny was giving us a hard time talking about we were the founding fathers of <laughs> DBU. You know, it makes me feel a little bit old right now, but, you know, it, it's all good, man. I'm excited to be back here with him, man, and, just try to see what we can do with this thing. Hey, one more thing, Nasty, before we let you go, man. I've been arguing for years now that you're the greatest punt returner in UT history, man, even better than <laughs> Eric Metcalf. So people don't want to say it. How do you feel about that great debate? Hey, man, hey, Eric was pretty good. You know, <laughs> I, I, you know, I got to give him his just due. I had an opportunity to meet, you know, Mr. Uh, Johnny Johnson, you know, a couple weeks ago at his uh, uh, fundraiser for uh, uh, Tee It Up and, here in Austin, but I have to make a case for myself, you know, to be able to go out there and make those plays. And, uh, you know, I, I, I think I might be. You know, I don't want to <laughs> say that I am, but, you know, I don't know. Hey, man, don't worry about but, the nasty. I will continue to say that you are. Hey, I yeah. know that you are not only because you was cold and that you, hey. was out, you was nasty out there because I was blocking for you, though. Exactly. That's exactly what I was about to say. We had so many great players. We had our starting cornerbacks out there, uh, you know, blocking gunners. I mean, I don't know if you remember Roy Williams was out yep. trying to block punts also. So, I mean, special teams, punt return was a was a glamorous position, man. And, you know, fourth down was exciting. So, you know, I, I, I would like for the fans to weigh in on that. You know, you guys should <laughs> That's a good idea. put that out there and see what, you know, what the people think. Well, Nate, it's got to be something about being an East Texas guy, doesn't it? You're from Texarkana or Aaron Ross from, from Tyler. There's got to be something special about being those East Texas guys. Yeah, man, East Texas, man, we play a great brand of football out there, man. So, you know, uh, we got to just see what's going on. <laughs> I mean, Folks, at one time he had the longest return in NFL history with a 108-yard return. That's real. That record has since been broken, but it is not forgotten, and everything he accomplished on the 40 Acres is not forgotten. As Rod Babers has said, and I've agreed with him before, the greatest punt returner in the history of the University of Texas, among many other things, Nathan Vasher. Nate, thanks so much for the time, man. Hopefully we can do it again hey. soon. Hey, man, anytime, man. Thanks, guys. Hey, this is Lifetime Longhorn Kwame Kavir, UT great receiver. And nobody knows this about Kwame. I know we take a lot of your time, but, man, you excellent. You need to come on the radio, dog, for real. <laughs> come talk some trash with your boy. Um, but it, 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 Kwame Kavir not only one of the greatest wide receivers on the 40 Acres, but you're, I think you're the greatest trash talker that's ever <laughs> came through the 40 Acres. Nobody knows this about Kwame. Wow. He was never quiet at practice. He had two sayings that, I really, that, I, that stick with me to this day. I can hear them. You could hear him when you walked out there. You could hear Kwame. You could hear him out there saying, let's go right damn now. Five <laughs> words. Let's go right damn now. Let's go. Um, and he would also say false enthusiasm goes a long way. It, sometimes it, 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 football is a hard game. You practice way more than you play. So yeah. you got to learn how to practice with that intensity True. that you're going to have to play with. You got to conceptualize True. that intensity, and nobody True. did it better than Kwame Cabello. You could hear him the whole practice. I don't even know. You were talking the whole damn time. You talk more than the coaches. 
Um, but I was. I learned at an early. I grew up with two brothers, right? And I learned at an early age that either I knew that that, uh, that football was ninety percent and ten percent. I knew if I could get in your head, it was over. Yeah. It didn't matter what I did. If I was in your head, it's done. So I used to walk up to the line, ride a tail, and be like, "Man, you scared of you?" <laughs> Let's go right now. <laughs> yeah, you taught all the you taught all the youngsters how to talk trash. I remember that, man. I remember yeah, that. Man, you, you, it's a swag. You know, they call it swag now. Yeah, either, they do. Either you have it, either you have it, or you don't, man. And some guys, some. I mean, I, and 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 I, I had the talk run. I still do. I even talk out there as a coach. You know, it probably what makes me a good teacher because I don't stop talking to teachers. <laughs> So, but either you have this inner swag about you, because you don't have to talk all the time, but some people like me, that had, that got me going. If I was quiet and I wasn't talking out there, then I knew I wasn't at my full potential. I needed to talk all the time. To the point, Rod, that they voted me uh, one of the top five trash talkers in the CFL. Oh, I, and no question. The whole, my whole, they voted my whole receiving core in Montreal, trash talking. We used, we used to score, and I remember I told a guy that it's a shame that he's out here right now. <laughs> See, Kwame, I was actually going to ask you about Rod and, you know, him as a freshman being the guy coming out and talking, but hey, we just flipped everything upside down. I didn't know you hold the basically the crown here at Texas. No, I, I, cause he, he learned it for me. Yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, I just, I just knew that this game was so mental. I knew, I knew what I wanted to do. I knew where I needed to be on the field. I knew where I was lined up. I knew if you wasn't, if you were out there thinking too much, you really not like enjoying the game. You know, I got to a point. I knew I studied my butt off, man. I knew I needed to be here. I knew I needed to be. Where I need to be, I knew what everybody on the field was doing, so I could be comfortable enough to be fancy free. I knew I wasn't going to be able to be fancy free and talk if I didn't know what everybody else was doing, including myself. So I just want—I just know that this game is so mental that if you get a guy thinking about you and not what his assignment is, you—you've won off top. And Rod will tell you, most of the time, people can't handle that. Yep. You know, they'll tell you, man, won't you shut up? Won't you say that? Oh, I don't, I, I keep, keep talking more. <laughs> won't you say, won't you shut up? Oh, I'll be in your head now, baby. Yes. <laughs> it don't have to be a whole bunch of stuff. It could be subtle. It could yep. be subtle. Sometimes I would, I wouldn't say nothing, run by him, and then on the way back be like, you know, I had you right there, right? Okay. <laughs> as long as you know, I'm gone. <laughs> it's just fun. I think that's part of the game. Yep. Jordan did it. I mean, I saw him close his eyes and tell him to tumble, welcome to the NBA. And I mean, I think it's just part of the game and the, and the great ones, they, more, the more, the great ones that I know, that I play with, they all talk. They might not talk a whole lot, but they talk somewhat. Cause football is the most masculine sport that I've ever played, man. And if you don't, if you don't have confidence in yourself to be able to defend yourself out there on the field, it can get scary. So, you have to be able to hold your own. First of all, you couldn't talk if you were sorry. Now, if you if I wasn't making plays out there, I guarantee you, I probably wouldn't have been talking. That's real too. Ain't no, no question. One, no one respects anybody that ain't making plays. But if you making play, if you talking mess and backing it up, that is demoralizing. I'm telling you, that will demoralize 
a football team, if the guy's over there saying, hey, I'm about to do this guy right here, watch this, boom, and then he does it, the whole team sees that. Mm-hmm. They're like, man, who's going to shut this guy up? If you can't ever shut this guy up and he's still performing out there, I mean, in the confines of the team aspect now, he can't be uh, an idiot now. you got to be in the confines of the team aspect, but that's part of the game, you know, and I see some of that being removed to an extent, you know, but it's still part of the game. I mean, they may not do it as much, but it's still talking out there. I mean, me and Rod play at the highest level. And Rod, I tell you, that's one of the most things I took out of the NFL, how much talking going on out there. I played against Ray Lewis. That guy never shut up. <laughs> never. <laughs> calls and he called the audibles, offensive calls, telling people to line up, talking mess, everything. I mean, and I was so amazed, like, man, this guy ain't never shut up. You walk across somebody's chin and look at you and say, I'm going to be here all day. I mean, what can you say to that guy? He's going to be there all day. Once again, I want to remind you that every time we talk to a lifetime Longhorn on the VIP hotline, it's brought to you by Dr. Stephen Van Wicklin, DDS at SouthAustinDentist.com. Feel free to give him a call, 512-448-3131. Up next, lifetime Longhorn Mike Adams. Now, Mike, the game I want to ask you specifically about is one that Ricky told me one time was his favorite game he ever played in at Texas. Tell me about the 95 game in College Station against A&M for the last Southwest Conference Championship. Describe for me the ebbs and flows of that game. And then the end, and I've had people tell me different variations of this story, but apparently the core drew some sabers at midfield after you guys won. How crazy was that atmosphere? Man, I, you know, I would have to agree with Ricky. I mean, probably in, in terms of you know a game of importance and, and just the, the magnitude of it, man, probably the biggest college game in my career. I mean, who, who wants to be on that losing end of losing the last Southwest Conference Championship and having a chance to, to beat A&M, which is really the last dominant A&M defense, you know, the so-called wrecking crew. I mean, those guys were it. I mean, they still had a little bit of that you know, persona left. And, man, they had a 31-game win streak. Man, we went down to College Station, and it was a tough game, dude. I mean, six six at one point, I think ten six something like that. We ended up winning sixteen to six, but you know, obviously a breakout game for Ricky James Brown playing hurt. I mean, a bunch of guys. Man, that was, that was probably the best team game, you know, besides the the fifty one to fifteen thrashing we put on the year <laughs> year after in in Austin. But uh, just a big time game, man. We we really stepped up because we knew we had the talent to beat in them, but. I think it was more of a mental thing that was still there. And we felt like that year. And, and after talking to some of the guys, you know, after that game, you know, guys like Ray Mickens, I mean, we were pretty cool with some of those guys over there. They said they could see a different look in our eye that particular game. They said they knew or they felt like that we felt like we could finally beat them. So I think that was telling, you know, to hear that from some of those guys. who, You know, we had pretty much my three years there before that had been on the losing end against a so it was, it was a work in progress, man, but we, we definitely turned around winning that 95 you know, South Wisconsin Conference Classic and then just taking it to them in 96. Folks, before you think about Jordan Shipley, Quan Cosby, Roy Williams, before those guys, without question, in a lot of people's opinions, the best receiver in the history of the 40 Acres and still one of the all-time greats, Arlington Sam Houston's finest, Mike Adams. Mike, thank you so much for joining us this week, and hopefully we can do it again real soon. Hey, man, I appreciate it. And before I sign off, you know, if anybody has any doubt, all I'll say is this. Go to the stat book, look how many catches I got in the yards. Look at those guys' catches and their yards. <laughs> Only about six, 700 yards separate us, and they probably have 100 more catches than me. 
So, right. man, if I was playing for Mac Brown, hey, the yardage chart would be off the chart. Hey, just to give you your numbers, Mike, you were all-time leading wide receiver, most consecutive games with the reception, career 100-yard receiving games, career kickoff return yards, punt return yards, receptions, receiving TDs, and you broke Earl Campbell's all-purpose yards record before you left. Man, and that's, that, that record right there, man, is probably my, my, my greatest, my most fondest record. Because Earl mm. Campbell, here, come on, man, that's Earl Campbell. Exactly. No <laughs> that's doubt. real. He's, he's a folk hero. <laughs> not 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 just a Texas lady, he's a folk hero, man. He, he he's legendary. So man, that that record right there was the one I really wanted to get out of all of them because I wasn't a big records guy. But man, once once you start getting close to stuff, it's like, man, I, I really got a chance to do this. But that's the one that you know I hang my hat on. But man, records were meant to be broken. Glad Roy came in and did his thing. Glad Jordan came in and did his thing. And I mean, it just. You know, it's good to sit back here now and to have people reflect on it and to be mentioned in the same breath as some of the guys who came behind you still be up there. So that, that's, that's definitely a great honor. Some guys have passed, but no doubt he's still one of the all-time greats on the 40 Acres. Mike Adams was our guest this week. Mike, again, thank you so much. Best of luck with everything out there on Highway 290 with Maynard. Best of luck this fall, and hopefully we can do it again real soon. Oh, yes, sir, man. You guys got my number anytime. Sir Ryan, hit me up, baby. All right. Thanks, Mike. Appreciate it, guys. Baseball has begun, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today in 5, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Samphill, every Monday through Saturday as we deliver all of your fantasy baseball needs in just five minutes. We'll break down the biggest performers, news, and prospects who could make an impact this season. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found. Thanks again for downloading and listening to another edition of Longhorn Blitz, the best of Longhorn Blitz. You've been listening to Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Remember, for the latest Longhorn news 24-7, visit Horns247.com.